TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates the class of 2024, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEM. Not really your football pregame show this week since, well, there's still six hours till kickoff, but your Sunday morning uh, kickoff nonetheless. It's Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy. Brenda, good morning. Good morning to you, Joe, on the first Sunday in October. And what a week it was. And we've got plenty to get into on Hardline this week. Uh, our guests include, uh, in just a moment, Congressman Brian Higgins, who represents the 26th District. Uh, also, we'll talk with uh, Ellie Grenauer, who is the co-owner of the Glen Park Tavern in Williamsville, about all of the... Uh, COVID-19 impact that uh, has has fallen upon the restaurant industry, Joe. It's been a very difficult time for the hospitality industry, and they have really suffered uh, the consequences. In the 11 o'clock hour, uh, well, the doctor will be in. It'll be Dr. David Pierce from Kaleida. And at 11.30, Mark Laurie, the superintendent of schools in Niagara Falls, will join us for an update on what's happening uh, in his system. So certainly plenty to get into, and we welcome your calls and text at 716-803-0930. That's right. So stop pouting about not being in Las, Ve- in Las Vegas today and uh, join us for the next two hours. Our first guest is Congressman Brian Higgins. Congressman, good morning. Good morning. And uh, breaking in the last half hour, you and Congressman Chris Jacobs have urged the NTSB to reverse their decision in investigating the plane crash that took the lives of Steve Barnes and Elizabeth Barnes. Yeah, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board has a statutory obligation uh, to investigate all civilian aviation crashes. And uh, they should be in Buffalo uh, as soon as possible uh, to investigate this. Uh, You have a family who is grieving, and uh, they're looking for answers. And uh, the the National Transportation Safety Board is charged with that responsibility. They are very good. They are highly professional. And they should be in the Buffalo area to do that, uh, to uh, investigate fully uh, this crash to determine probable cause. Why, Congressman, are they saying that it's because of COVID-19 that they will not come in? It it seems like an odd uh, set of circumstances that they would not come in and investigate. It's very odd. Uh, Yesterday, I spent most of the day uh, trying to deal with both the White House, uh, which is in disarray right now for other reasons, and also uh, through legislative colleagues that are on committees that have jurisdiction over uh, the uh, the transportation department and uh, aviation activities. Uh, so this action is absolutely essential. And again, you've got a family that's grieving, that's looking for answers, and they deserve answers. And uh, as I said, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board, they are highly professional. Uh, to invoke uh, COVID-19 uh, just doesn't, it is odd. Uh, your, your characterization, I think, is, is fair and accurate. 
and uh, they need uh, to provide a better response. And the only response acceptable uh, is that they come to Buffalo, they do a comprehensive investigation and file their report. That's what occurred after uh, Flight 3407 because of the families that were uh, advocating uh, to, to you know, find probable cause because they had one objective, and that was to ensure that what had torn their families apart, what ripped their families apart, uh, would not happen to future families. And we, uh, because of all of the reforms that those families fought for based on uh, the conclusions in the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, we have had a, a period of, of incredible, uh, a decade without, you know, major fatality. Um, so uh, they have an obligation to come here. My hope is that they will reverse your decision uh, and be here on the ground as quickly as possible. Yeah. How quickly are you expecting a response from the NTSB? Well, uh, Joe, they can be here within a couple of hours. Uh, they are stationed throughout the country. As I said, it's a, it's a highly skilled uh, group of individuals. They know exactly what to do upon arrival uh, toward the goal of developing, you know, what was the cause and or probable cause uh, of this terrible tragedy that has, uh, that has you know, devastated a family and uh, our community generally. Well, we are uh, awaiting uh, the news from that, Congressman Higgins, and other things happening this week. The president was diagnosed with COVID. What was your initial response to that? And have you talked to anyone in Congress who has been tested positive in the last week of COVID? Oh, I I have. Many members of Congress have tested positive, not recently, but over the last several months. And uh, they all report a a similar experience. That is that there's no treatment for this. Uh, Obviously, there's no vaccine. And uh, when you're stuck with COVID-19, there are variations in the severity of the symptoms. But uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty difficult, uh, and you have a situation where you know we had a debate last week. Seventy three million Americans watched the debate. Uh, the president mocked uh, 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 President Biden for wearing a face mask. Uh, one week later, the president has COVID nineteen, as does his wife. Three Republican senators, a bunch of campaign aides, uh, Chris Christie, uh, Biden, his wife and campaign staff, at least at this point, uh, are healthy. But the interesting irony that I don't think a lot of people caught is when the president left the White House to walk onto uh, Marine One en route to Walter Reed Hospital, he was wearing a mask. So I think we all have you know, something to learn from the mistakes we make and the failures that befall all of us. You know, Congressman, I couldn't help but think about um, there was a reporter from Reuters, Jeff Mason, who was asking the president a question uh, a few days before that. And he had a mask on and the president said to him, take your mask off. I can't hear you. And he refused to do so. And uh, I just thought it was really in poor taste that the president was haranguing him about keeping his mask on. And now the irony of the president wearing a mask because he's been diagnosed. A couple questions here. Have you uh, been tested for COVID-19? I have not. I, I, you know, I have. Uh, I, I take my temperature on a fairly regular basis, and I would pursue testing in the event that I, you know, had had symptoms. But fortunately, I've not had symptoms uh, uh, thus far. But you know, Brent, I think you bring up a, a good point. I think, you know, uh, people are showing more compassion to the president than he has shown to them, and you still have over two hundred thousand Americans who are dead 
of COVID-19 in the past uh, seven months. You have uh, 7.3 million people who are stuck with COVID-19. We've had 300,000 new infections in the past seven days alone. Uh, This situation has not been handled well. Uh, We don't have, you know, the testing. We don't have uh, the kind of assistance that's necessary to address uh, this national emergency on the ground. Uh, Congress, as you know, this past week uh, approved uh, a bill of over $2 trillion, uh, down a trillion dollars from the bill we did five months ago. Uh, But the idea is, look, this is a universal gut punch. Uh, the COVID-19 is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, you're a member of Congress or you're president of the United States. Uh, everybody is vulnerable and, and susceptible uh, to this, uh, this communicable disease. And uh, it's a problem that we haven't dealt with well. Uh, Americans aren't welcomed in 27 European countries. Americans are not welcomed in Canada. Why? Because our... Uh, infection rate is disproportionately uh, higher than than uh, it is in in those other countries. It's not a good situation, and our people are hurting and people are suffering. And uh, at no time uh, in the history of this country has my health and that of my family been dependent on you and your family doing the right thing. You know, we don't have a constitutional right uh, to infect people. You know, Robert Redfield is the uh, the director for the Centers of, uh, Centers of Disease Control and Prevention. He was appointed to that position, the top infectious disease expert in the country and arguably the world, right? He was appointed to that position by President Trump in 2018. And he said, uh, it was probably in, uh, in the middle of August, that if everybody wore a face mask, that we could have this under control in six to eight weeks. And obviously, you know, that didn't happen. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a responsibility and obligation in terms of presidential leadership uh, to demonstrate, to show uh, the American people that my public health experts are saying that we should do this, and therefore let's follow their lead. That hasn't happened. You've had too many conflicting messages coming out of the White House. People are confused. They're frustrated. They obviously want to get back to normalcy. Uh, but unless and until we get out front of this, unless and until we develop a treatment and a vaccine, we will never get back to a sense of economic uh, normalcy. There was some confusion yesterday, too, because uh, the, the president's doctors came out, uh, about 10 doctors, I believe it was, in front of Walter Reed Medical Center and talked about his his uh, uh, prognosis and his current state. And they were saying that he was doing better and he was feeling better. He was not given oxygen yesterday. They made it very clear that it was just yesterday and really evaded the questions about whether he had been given any sort of oxygen prior to that. And then uh, the president came out and, and put out a video and his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was saying something different that the president was reportedly furious about uh, because it made him sound sicker than he claims he is. I have to tell you, Congressman, my head was spinning. What did you make of these conflicting messages? Well, it, it's not helpful because, you know, the, you know, the president and his treatment should serve as a guide uh, to, you know, treatment generally. And here's the truth. 
The truth is there's no treatment for this. The best thing that our healthcare system can do, which is the most expensive healthcare in the entire world, is to give you Tylenol uh, to help reduce the fever, to help reduce the pain. Uh, those are symptoms. Those are not treatments to deal with the underlying disease. There is also the collateral damage of the uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. Yes, it attacks your lungs, leaving scars, but it's also known to attack your liver and potentially the brain as well. So the point is, we really know very little about this and the, the devastating long-term effects uh, of all of this. And, you know, at a time, you think about it, you know, this administration, this president, wants to kill the only law that protects people with pre-existing conditions, patient protections. Guess what the new pre-existing condition is? COVID-19. In addition to childhood cancer, in addition to diabetes, in addition to heart disease, you know, we should just demand better because uh, right now, you know, we are not handling this well at all. Congressman Higgins, a few minutes ago, you said that the president is being shown more compassion than he's shown others. What did you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. Um, There have been many, many times uh, over uh, the past several months where the president is asked to comment on the number of deaths and the number of people who are infected. These are his people. He has an obligation as the president of the United States to protect the American people. And his response has been, it is what it is. It is what it is. That is not a statement of compassion. I believe what he said at the the debate on Tuesday, that one is one too many. Throughout the last several months, he has commented on a regular basis that it is what it is. That is not a statement of compassion. So do you agree with – because I, 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 I've been on Twitter, and some of the things I see tweeted toward the president I think are absolutely disgusting, if you agree with the man or not. I mean, don't you think this, we could use this as a uniting time instead of a time to, to bash the president who's in the hospital? I'm not bashing the president. I'm, I'm not saying you are, uh, specifically. Yeah, I think, I think you know, there is a tradition uh, when our country uh, falls into challenging times, you know, the Great Depression, uh, World War II. Uh, September 11th, where presidential leadership is necessary to unite the country. I don't think during the past six months that anybody with normal sensibility would suggest that this president has unified the country. The country is very divided. It's very divided. And the fact of the matter is the federal government response was slow, sloppy, and chaotic. And, you know, we have 5% of the world's population and 25% uh, of the cases. In times of national emergency, there was a, in mid-March, when the coronavirus was acknowledged, there was a declaration of a national emergency. That happens when there have been snowstorms in Buffalo. Uh, That happens when we have floods. That happens when you have hurricanes. It happens when you have wildfires. And you know what that says? That says that, you know, it's a time of national emergency. We take the resources of the federal government and we provide direct assistance to states and cities and counties who are trying to manage the crisis on the ground. We as Americans come together in times of natural disasters and national emergencies 
And this response has been considerably less than that. Uh, to pit red states against blue states, like it's a board game, um, has resulted in more deaths than otherwise would have occurred. Virtually every country in the world has handled the coronavirus and this pandemic uh, in a much more effective way than we have. But Congressman, during the beginning of the pandemic, I believe a lot of states, blue or red, said that the president, that the federal government gave them everything that they wanted. I'm not sure when that changed. I mean, I remember Governor Cuomo thanking the president for bringing a ship in that was barely used. Well, that's certainly there were some good aspects of the response. But I think, Joe, over overall, overall, it's very, very difficult to make a, a, an argument that the federal government response was as effective as it could have been. It was not. And that's why we have more COVID-19 cases. That's why we have more COVID-19 deaths than any country. You know, it, it, it's just we haven't handled this well. And, 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 and there are, look, I, I, I grant, I concede that there were instances where the federal government did the right thing. But overall, uh, the conflict, you know, again, I go back to Dr. Redfield. He's the expert appointed by the president. He's the one that's encouraging, that's admonishing uh, people to wear face masks if you want to get out front of this thing. And, And then the president is mocking Joe Biden the other night for wearing a face mask. And, and Congressman, you'll, you will not get a disagreement out of me. I, I think everyone should be wearing a face mask. I don't think it's too much to ask for. Uh, I just one more thing, and then I'll, I'll hand it to my co-host. One more thing on division. It, it seems that you in your last statement said that the division in this country is based on the president. Don't you think members of both parties are to blame for the division in this country? Uh, look, I think that we live in a hyper-partisan environment right now. But I I think the president has failed in his responsibility in terms of presidential leadership. Uh, and I think he has been a major contributor. Uh, that debate the other night, uh, the interruptions, the, 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 the destruction of the institution of presidential debates, I think is just one example. Um, but but clearly, I mean, and fairly, uh, both sides play a partisan game. You know, the nobility of politics is to sit in a room with somebody that you don't even like or you don't agree with and find a way to move forward. I'm one of or, uh, 435 members of Congress. Everybody can't have their own way. Uh, the structure of our government was set up so as to make compromise necessary as it relates to, 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 to progress. So, um, that's a fair statement. You know, both parties are guilty of it, but I think we have reached a new level with with this president. You know, Brian, I, I wanted to mention that I thought it was smart on the president's move to ban travel from China, and that's something he often touts when people ask about his response to the virus. And in some ways, I think he thinks he's doing the right thing by uh, not panicking the American public, according to what he told Bob Woodward. And so he did know about it, and he acknowledged that he knew about the COVID crisis sooner than he acknowledged to the American people, uh, but said that he did not want the, the country to feel like we were under siege and that we would panic and 
my problem, I guess, with this, and the reason I bring that up, is that I think there's just a lack of transparency and revisionist history that keeps happening with this administration. That's where I find frustration. Then I have moments of hope that I thought he and Governor Cuomo, who I think has gone way overboard in New York State, by the way, uh, were working uh, collaboratively in the early days of COVID. They praise each other. Uh, President Trump did everything that Cuomo asked for. And now it's back to, you know, in the dirt again, where they're attacking each other. Uh, to me, I just see this overall pattern of a lack of transparency. And that's what disturbs me greatly about what's happening. Even yesterday at the uh, press conference with the doctors and then conflicting reports afterwards, why can't we get a straight answer about what's happening in our government with our president? Well, if you look back on the history of our country and the history of the world, uh, World War II, why was Churchill viewed so favorably? Because he was brutally honest with his people. He was brutally honest with the Western world. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't uh, send conflicting messages out. But he was also, that brutal honesty had a basis of, of confidence that we would overcome this. And that is a big, big part of what presidential leadership is all about, to be honest with people, uh, to say that we are in a very, very difficult time. But if we are united, we will be resilient. We will be durable. We will emerge again. And uh, that clearly has not happened. Look, I didn't need the president to tell me or to keep me uh, from, from uh, understanding the severity of, of this pandemic. We had a government-mandated lockdown of the American economy. People were told uh, that they had to do certain things as we began to get more information uh, about uh, this, 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 this pandemic, this coronavirus. And the truth is, and this is, you know, the responsibility of both, the lack of responsibility by both Republicans and Democrats, uh, over the years, the coronavirus has been with us for 20 years. Uh, the coronavirus was the cause of, uh, of, of SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome. And then after that, MERS, Middle East respiratory syndrome. We should have been investing uh, in the National Institutes of Health, which is the largest funder of medical research in the world, toward the goal of a treatment. And the fact of the matter is, and, and Dr. Redfield will tell you this, Dr. Fauci will tell you this, public health experts uh, around the world will tell you this, the coronavirus is with us. It came from bats. You're right, it probably originated in China. But what's happening now, there's 7.8 billion people that live on this earth. And the more people you have, the more places you have to find for those people to live. So what's happening is you have the destruction of ecosystems where bats live. So it's either from a bat that carries the coronavirus, uh, but is asymptomatic, or from an intermediary that the bat has infected and then has infected Americans. So the point is, we could have and should have uh, been better prepared for this, both in the short term, over the last uh, seven months, but also in fairness over the last 20 years. Congressman Brian Higgins, always a great conversation. And I know one thing, the congressman and I will be on the same team this afternoon at 430.
<laughs> Congressman, always a good uh, good discussion. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Brenda. Thank you very much, Congressman. You know, uh, Joe, at least the congressman comes on and talks to us, and I think that's what politicians and government leaders need to do, and uh, I certainly appreciate his point of view. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, disagree with him, and so we certainly would be happy to take your calls on that. 100%. You know, you talk about transparency. Congressman Brian Higgins is always available, always makes himself available to the media, and you may disagree with him, but you can't really ask for more from a uh, public official than to be there and on a Sunday morning be available able to talk to his constituents. No doubt. So coming up next, uh, Ellie Grenauer, who is the longtime co-owner of the Glen Park Tavern, uh, the venerable establishment on Main Street in Williamsville, will join us and talk about the restaurant industry and how COVID-19 has affected her way of life. Coming up right after this on... Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Hardline. And welcome back to this edition of Hardline. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy on board. We welcome your calls at 716-803-0930. Text board is active today and uh, open. The Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Same number, 716-803-0930. Well, we've talked a lot about uh, the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on all aspects of our lives. And that includes uh, people like me who love to eat out and people who work in the hospitality industry and the restaurant industry in particular. Uh, To me, the restaurant scene in Western New York is one of the best things about living in this area. So many talented chefs, so many venerable restaurants, um, a lot of the mom and pops. And I wanted to bring on somebody who can talk to that and uh, get a, a real understanding of how things have been affected by the coronavirus. So Ellie Grenauer is joining us. Ellie, good morning. Good morning, Brenda. How are you? I'm doing well, and I very much appreciate you joining Joe and me. And Ellie is the longtime co-owner of the Glen Park Tavern, uh, a historic tavern on Main Street in Williamsville. And Ellie, uh, in the big view over the past six, seven months, how different is life for you at the Glen Park Tavern? Wow. Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) So we've we've really reinvented ourselves. Um, you know, it's it's funny because in working <clears throat> with the state liquor authority and the governor, they're always surprised at how creative the restaurant people are, and we really are. Um, you know, in the beginning, it was very difficult um, just going to takeout only, and we were a hot mess. Uh, we didn't know how to do it, right? Because that wasn't our business model. But my team all jumped in and put together a great plan and we got a system down we became experts at takeout (laughs) curbside delivery takeout we were great at it and then of course when 
we are allowed to have outdoor dining. That added another facet to, okay, so how's the kitchen going to handle all this takeout? Because we were very fortunate and had great support for our takeout. Um, then we had to add some outdoor dining, and we had to adjust to that. And then we were allowed to open inside. So now we've got inside dining, inside dining, outdoor dining, plus the takeout and curbside delivery. So it's been really um, – We've had to come up. We've had we've had to be very creative, and really rely on on our strong team to build these systems to help us accomplish all this. Um, and that being said, and we've had great support. We're still only at between seventy and seventy five percent of our normal sales. Um, you know, so that's that makes it tough. But at least we're paying the bills. Everyone's all my staff is getting paid. Uh, so that's the good news. Do you think people are just reluctant to go out still? Or what, what do you attribute that 25% drop to? Uh, I don't have any room. You know, we're uh, limited to 50% capacity. Um, and yes, uh, Brenda, people still are fearful. Um, we're working now uh, a group of local restaurateurs to create a campaign um, to just show the public how conscientious we're all being, uh, kind of a dine-in, dine-safe campaign. Um, you know, the restaurateurs, for the most part, have jumped through hoops to make sure they've got distance between their tables. All their staff is wearing masks. We've put in a clean air filter uh, that we change monthly. Um now, it's not as fancy. It's a HEPA filter, but it's not as fancy as what the malls have had to put in. But it certainly helps. Um, we put barriers up at the bar so that, you know, nice-looking ones, but so that people can sit at the bar and still be safe and not right on top of each other. Um, you know, it's funny because in the restaurant business, uh, you know, the cleaning and sanitizing part of it, we've always done that. I mean, that's just been that's just protocol, right? You always clean and sanitize the table after another customer leaves. So that really, you know, hasn't been a challenge for us. It's what we've always done. But we have implemented every two hours wiping down general surfaces. Um, of course, we've added the outdoor dining and, you know, remove tables to allow for uh, six feet in between our guests. Uh, let me ask you this, you know, with winter coming and outdoor seating not as comfortable i mean obviously um without the heaters what do you, do you have a fear of having to close down or having to go even less of a capacity in the coming months oh we will definitely have to go less capacity because we won't have outdoor dining now i am purchasing a tent and i've got heaters i've got all kinds of things going on so i can extend that as long as i possibly can um, and other restaurateurs are doing the same. You know, you go buy Duff's up at Maine and Transit, you'll see their big tent out there. You know, we're all just trying to keep those sales coming. So, you know, to that to your point, though, so what we're doing and um, many other restaurants that I know, okay, we're just going to focus on drop-off catering, right? So, if we, so we can pick up the sales somewhere. You know, we're trying to be creative about that. And we happen to be one of the fortunate ones. Um, the New York, New York State Restaurant Association did a survey where they found 54.8% um, 
or I'm sorry, 63.6% of restaurants said they are likely or somewhat likely to close by the end of the year without some federal um, assistance. And 54% of those said that they would shut their doors by no- before November. So where the challenge comes in is, you know, if you're a, a newer restaurant tour, um, say you've been in business five years or less or even eight years or less, it's, you're not going to have those reserves to try and get you through all of this. Now, we've been in business 21 years, so we're a little bit luckier. Um, but there's a lot of places um, to your point that are going to lose the outdoor and then, you know, 50% capacity inside, for example, we're, we're 99 is our normal capacity. So we're at 49 and a half. <laughs> now, let me ask you, have you heard anything on possible state or federal assistance before this year is over? Was that part of the bill that was passed in Congress? Yes. Um, so the National Restaurant Association came up with uh, something called the Heroes Act, um, which we're hoping uh, that that that'll get passed. But there's, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in it right now. Right. So there's a lot of industries hurting. We're not the only one. Um, the travel industry, which kind of we fall under as well. Uh, I think it's. I don't have a lot of confidence that it'll pass. And then we'll get some relief by the end of the year. Ellie, uh, I know you've been active in the Restaurant Association. Uh, are you in contact with anybody from Governor Cuomo's office, or do you do you deal more so with the Erie County Legislature and more on a local government for help or guidance or funding? So with um, the local chapter, so, so I'm, I'm on the board of directors for the New York State Restaurant Association. And on that level, the NYSRA is dealing with the governor's office. Um, and actually, they've had a great relationship. The governor's office has turned to NYSRA for guidance on how they can, uh, for example, the, when um, outdoor dining was introduced in phase two. That wasn't supposed to happen until phase three. So, you know, that was because of that relationship. Um, they also helped, you know, really establish guidelines for indoor dining in New York City. Um and we we worked with the state liquor authority to help with the alcohol to go, and also extend deadlines for liquor license. Um, you know when your liquor license license expires, so we've extended those deadlines, so you weren't out of pocket that money right away. Um, so on the state level, we deal with the governor's office. On the local level, on the chapter, the Western New York chapter. We deal more with the Erie County legislators um, and and really the strongest part of the local chapter is all the operators getting together on a biweekly basis via Zoom and just working out these issues and coming up with creative ways to uh, keep ourselves going and in business. Well, I thought one of the more creative ways you did it was I noticed that you had tables out in the parking lot behind your place. Was that something that uh, you came up with on your own, or how did that come about? Well, that would, so that's where our local government comes in. So the town of Amherst and the village of Williamsville lifted some of those restrictions on uh, for everybody. You know, we still had to follow the guidelines to keep people safe, of course, but they lifted the restrictions 
um, on having a perfectly beautiful patio <laughs> so, so that, the, you know, everyone could do this. You know, and I'm the first to admit eating in a parking lot is not that great. But if you, you know, I did the, we did the best we could. We put plants out and umbrellas and tents. And, you know, if you feel safer dining outside and you want a great beef on whack, you're going to come up and you're going to sit out there. <laughs> Well, I, I think everybody's had to improvise, and uh, in some ways, it's you know, it's not a bad thing because at least you know you're you're getting a great meal, and you're also supporting a local business. You know, Ellie, a few uh, weeks ago, Joe and I had uh, Erie County Legislator Joe Larigo on the show, and he was proposing legislation to help fund um, uh, things like uh, heaters and other types of uh, shelters that you had mentioned earlier. Uh, to to help local restaurants. Have you been in touch with him about any of their type of help? I have not talked to Joe at all. Um, I've talked to Ed Rath on some other issues. Um, but I, I know, I, I believe I saw in the news that that did not go through right now. Um, Still a work in progress? Or do you think, what, what can they do to help you, especially as we're approaching the cold weather season? Well, I like Joe's idea. I think it's a great idea. You know, I'm purchasing a tent that's $2,100, right? And I've already purchased heaters, and, and um, you know, then there's the propane to run all that. And um, so I think Joe's idea – so the Erie County Legislature got money under the CARES Act for to, to utilize for these kind of things. So I don't know the full background behind it, but I'd love to know why it hasn't gone through yet. Because I think, yes, um, you know, could restaurants, they also need help paying for a lot of their personal protective equipment that we have to buy and the extra gloves and the masks and everything. So it's not just the outside portion of it. There's a lot in the inside that they could use help with, too. So, you know, maybe I will reach out to Joe and say, hey, how about we tweak the bill a little bit and... You know, because some restaurateurs don't have the option of going outside. Right. So it, that's not going to help them to get money for heaters and tents. Yeah, that's an important distinction. And, Ellie, with October here now, uh, I know that you would typically do a lot of things related to Oktoberfest celebrations. Uh, has the kibosh been, uh, <laughs> been put on that because you can't do that anymore? Yeah, well, we can't cram 2000 people under a tent just drinking can i <laughs> no no but are you doing any sort of version of it no we're not in-house and which we've always done we're doing sour broughton and, and our german-based foods and and beer um and we'll we'll keep doing that and we're planning dave shooty and i from creekview who works with me on the big Oktoberfest celebration that we normally have at the end of september we're we're in the works for next year and we're hoping that all this will be behind us, and um, we'll be able to uh, have a great celebration for Oktoberfest next year. Well, you and me both. I'm hoping 2021, we're a little back to normal. Uh, Ellie, do you mind if we take a call? No, go ahead. All right, we are going to go to Rochester and talk to John. Hey, John, good morning. Hey, Joe. Hey, Brenda. Hey, Ellie. Yeah, Ellie, I, 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 my sympathy for you, and it for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is uh, the uh, the bad policy of Governor Cuomo and Brian Higgins. Um, uh, number one, if you look at the uh, policies that Cuomo has done in New York State, 
we have 200% more deaths due to COVID than Florida and Texas, which are much more herd immunity uh, friendly. If you look at uh, Sweden, Sweden never really shut down. They're far ahead of the rest of the uh, industrial industrialized world in uh, Europe and in the United States because they didn't shut down. They use the uh, science of herd immunity. And do you have any bitter feelings toward the governor uh, and his policies? So I've seen all of that. And, you know, unfortunately, all of the restaurants were all in the position of it really doesn't matter what we think, right? So um, work within the guidelines um, that have been established for us, you know, um, to your point, Joe, right? Um, you know, I've had customers that get very upset um, coming in and having to wear a mask. But for us, it's not a political issue. It's just what we have to do or, or we'll be put out of business. You know, the state controls our, our liquor license, they control our occupancy, they control our health um, certificate. So we had to put all of our grievances behind us and oh, and just follow the rules and make it work for us. Ellie, Ellie you, could, you could lobby the governor in a reasonable way. I've, I've actually talked to the uh, head of the Chamber of Commerce here in Rochester, Bob Duffy, former lieutenant governor, uh, regarding this to put pressure on the governor about uh, looking at Sweden, looking at Texas and Florida. This, is, this you, can, you can do in a, in a uh, tactful way. Uh, I also talked to uh, Dottie Gallagher, uh, the Buffalo Partnership, about it. I don't know if she's done anything about it, but I think that's something you guys could do. Yeah, so we have worked with our local, you know, the Amherst Chamber of Commerce, our local groups to say, okay, so, you know, can we, can we, get, can we be a little bit more reasonable about some of these uh, restrictions? And there have been several lawsuits, and unfortunately they got reversed. Um, so... We're, we're trying behind the scenes, but for right now, to stay in business, i got to follow the rules. Yeah, it really puts you in a tough situation, Ellie, um, especially when you lay out all of the regulations that are put forth by New York State. <laughs> you really leaves you with very little choice. Um, one of those I wanted to ask you about was I thought was a ridiculous ruling about having to buy food to sit at the bar. How has that worked out for you? You have a very robust bar business at the Glen Park. Yeah, so that, that I had to say when that ruling came out, there was a lot of funny stuff on Facebook about that. But that didn't that didn't make the governor very happy. But you know, um, so I guess the the purpose of the ruling is to not have people linger. Um, and I think at the time he was hoping that that would eliminate the younger people going out to the bar and gathering in large groups, and you know. Um, he saw those as uh, super spreader events. Um, so, but again, the restaurateurs have gotten very, very creative. We've got some very creative bar menus out there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, you can say what you want about restaurateurs, but you're certainly creative and adaptable, Ellie. <laughs> I mean, you've, you probably, in your wildest dreams, never thought you'd have to come up with uh, various uh, ideas and protocols that you're now living day to day. Well, you know, it, that's funny because I was before all this happened, Brenda. I had a feeling of dread in my heart 
coming hmm. in like January. I just had this dreadful feeling. I, I, I just saw this coming. And, you know, I'm not a psychic or anything like that. It was just I saw it coming. And I said to my partners, we got to get ready. They're going to shut us down. It's coming. It's coming. And they all both looked at me like, no, no. You know, my dad's 82 years old. He's been through pandemics. Nobody ever got shut down, you know. But here we are. <laughs> well, I think uh, you should come with me to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, really. <laughs> well, Ellie, I, I wish you continued uh, good luck as you navigate through this new world and these new processes. And uh, I really hope that you can make it. And uh, please keep us posted. And, you know, any legislation that you hear about or anything that you have to do, we're really interested in, in uh, hearing how the restaurant industry evolves in this new world. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, Brenda, thank you. And, you know, um, like I said, the Glen Park Tavern been in business 21 years we're going to get through this and um you know we we will continue to uh thank our community for supporting us so thanks for having me on uh, always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, we're, we'll switch gears in the next segment after the 11 o'clock news we'll talk with dr david pierce from kaleida health your calls are most welcome at 803-0930 if you have any questions medically related about COVID-19, the president's treatment, anything else related to the pandemic. Much more to come on Hardline with Joe Beamer and me, Brenda Alacy, right after this. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here 
on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.